Father, we thank you that we uh, can consider again the fact that you are creator and that you have made all things and you have made them according to the uh, word of your power in the space of six days. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, continue to strengthen us in our knowledge and understanding of what you teach us in your word and uh, we pray that you would help us then to stand uh, strong for the truth and uh, even in opposition to those who would uh, try to say differently. Uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, first of all, um, I was thinking there was a copy back here, but didn't see it. But I do have a copy of what we were watching. So if anybody's interested in taking it home uh, to look at, uh, feel free to put it back there. And uh, obviously here the last uh, number of times we've been looking... Uh, at the video and trying to uh, learn a little better about what some of the evidence does say and how it points uh, and confirms really the scriptures and in terms of the age of the earth and of course the issue of creation versus evolution and uh, gives us a way to, to understand uh, how the flood affects things and in our interpretation of, of what we see around us and so forth and so hopefully it's been helpful for you uh, as we've gone through that. Um, I want to now proceed and talk briefly about the issue of evolution. And uh, the video did speak some in this way at the beginning, if you recall. Uh, but I want to spend a little bit of time here talking about evolution and uh, the different forms of evolution and uh, how, of course, we respond to it uh, biblically. So, the first thing then is that uh, the theory of evolution has to answer a few questions. Uh, we could, I'm sure, give more, but I think we can talk uh, about it in summary fashion in this way. And uh, the first question is how do you get something from nothing? something from nothing. Secondly, how do you get order from non-order, or you could say chaos? Okay. You could even say record say okay so these are four important questions that uh, even we have to answer really 
but especially the evolutionists have to answer this question. And they do so in a variety of ways. But for the first one, of course, how do you get something from nothing? The basic position is that there's nothing there and all of a sudden there's this big bang. Well, how do you get the matter to spontaneously form or something and then spontaneously explode? Uh, so how do you get something from nothing? Secondly, how do you get order from non-order or chaos or chance? Again, you see it in here uh, asked in different ways. So for example, how do we get the laws of nature? How do you have any kind of order from something that's purely random? How do you get the laws of logic and reason? How do you get the law of non-contradiction, for example? Uh, how does this happen if it's just purely random? How do you get relationships or personhood? How do you have a soul? How do these things happen just if it's all random and all chance? How do you get an evolutionary system that progresses, as they claim? How does it go from simplicity to complexity? How does it go from something that is very basic to something that is highly evolved? How do you do that? That requires order. That requires uh, some, some progress, building one thing upon another. How does that happen purely from a system that has no order? and is random and filled with chance. And so these are serious problems. And then thirdly, how do you get life from non-life? That's pretty obvious here. <laughs> hey, how, how does something uh, come alive if it's dead? There's no life in it. And so these are three uh, uh, vitally important questions that the evolutionary system has to answer. Now, the fourth one is slightly different, but uh, no less important. What does the fossil record, what does the evidence say in regard to uh, the so-called macroevolutionary system? Does it really show that things have gradually evolved from one species to another? Does it really show us that, or does it show us something else? And so uh, these are the, the four key questions. I think you can subdivide those. Maybe you could even ask some other things. But these are four key questions that uh, even we have to answer as, as Christians, but especially here in regard to evolution. All right, now, before I proceed, are there any questions or comments about these questions? Let's now define our terms here a little bit. And, uh, and you recall even from the video, she did something similar here. Uh, what is evolution? How do we define the term? <laughs> now, in a very generic, general, basic kind of way, evolution simply means change over time. Okay? So... Um, according to that definition of change over time, we all are evolutionists. Okay? Think of where you were a year ago. We all have changed in the last year. Jim, your heart has gone undergone many changes in the last year, has it not? Okay? 
Um, the children might be a little taller, some of us might be a little wider <laughs> over the last year, but uh, um, we all have changed. And I don't remember uh, the, the actual numbers here, but I believe our bodies, in terms of ourselves, are completely different from a year ago. I forget what it is when every cell in our body replaces itself, how long that is, but I believe it's less than a year, if my memory serves me. And so in that sense, we are completely different from a year ago. So, again, in a very generic way, evolution means change over time. And everything changes in one way or another, except, of course, for God. And so, according to this definition, there's nothing wrong with the term evolution. Everyone evolves, you might say, in this way. But obviously, in our culture today, we don't tend to use the term in this way. Um, it has some very... Um, uh, different ideas associated with it. So, um, another, I think, helpful way of making a distinction here in our term is what um, is typically called microevolution and macroevolution. So, what do we mean by these terms? I'll ask you this time. What do we, what do we mean by micro and macro evolution here? Again, according to what the culture is using it for here. Uh, not in the generic sense. Joe? Well, micro evolution means... Uh kind of a survival of the fittest sort of thing when there's a limited food supply the stronger get the food supply animals that are more like camouflage more easily affected the environment survive and ones that don't don't white animals in the polar region survive where black animals wouldn't the jungle's the other way or the famous moths. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we have this idea of, of an animal, uh, you might say, adjusting or adapting to its habitat in order to survive. Okay. Um, and you're saying that's associated with microevolution, right? That idea. Okay. Uh, any other... Uh, Definitions or thoughts here for these terms? Well, small changes versus large changes, just small changes over time, you know, natural selection and mutation, that kind of thing, which is all lost in sorting of information, no evidence of ever gaining any genetic information, but there's zero evidence of that. Uh, macro, macro evolution, you know, molecules to man, that kind of thing. Um, nothing is most complicated, you know, Bill will keep us That's fine. That's fine. 
we often hear the terminology of uh, a variation within a species for microevolution. And so, uh, uh, you know, both Joe and Dale use some, some other terms that are also used in regard to microevolution. But basically, there's a variety within a species. So you just think of humans, for example. We have Adam and Eve, and even Noah and his family. And then just look at even us, and how different we are from one another. And uh, certainly, as uh, we look around the world, we have uh, people of different sizes and shapes and colors and, and uh, so forth. Some people are, are large, some are small, some are tall, some are short, some are light, some are dark. Some, uh, uh, you know, just basically evolve in a certain way, and some evolve in a different way. Again, on this variation uh, on a theme, so to speak. And uh, clearly, there's a, a large variety among human beings. And uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with this. Uh, this is perfectly consistent with the scriptures. And uh, we... We'll talk about this in a micro-evolutionary way. Now we speak of animals and the survival of the fittest kind of way. Um, we, we can see uh, this as well. The strong ones survive. I was just telling Aileen, was it yesterday? I think of the chicks we had last uh, late fall, I think, not quite sure yet, but I think the hens killed all the roosters. I had them all together. <laughs> and I'd go out every now and again and be a dead one there, <laughs> and I think there are only hens left, um, and so they they uh, wanted to survive. I guess uh, I don't know how they can survive without a male around, but uh, anyway, <laughs> from one generation to the next. But, um, but certainly there was a pecking order in that uh, cage. Um, now, in regard to macroevolution, here. This is not just a variation within a species, it is changing from one species to another. And so we're not just talking about a dog kind that can vary according to the hundreds of different kinds of dogs we have, including uh, wolves and hyenas and jackals and so forth, but now we're talking about going from one species to a different one. And so as we, of course, here with humans, we have monkeys or apes uh, evolving into humans, uh, dinosaurs have evolved into birds. All I have to do is watch Jurassic Park, and you see that. Um, and I've, I've heard it actually both ways. I've heard a whale evolving into a cow, or a cow evolving into a whale. Um, but you know, these are the kind of things that uh, that we hear of change from one species to another. We uh, term this macroevolution. Big. Big changes, you might say, not just a variation on a theme. All right, so briefly then, some of the terminology that that we use here in regard to this, and certainly there are other terms associated with this, but in, in general. Are there any comments or questions here before we continue? All right. Now, there are three key positions within evolution there's what's called atheistic evolution you hear the term naturalism 
naturalistic evolution or naturalistic atheism, or you know, you hear different terms there. Then you have what is uh, often called a deistic evolution, and then a theistic evolutionary system. So you have a variety of understandings. Now, the basic theme, of course, is they believe in evolution, macroevolution. So you, you might say, you go back to what we were talking about, the different forms of the age of the earth among Christians. Everybody believes that God created things. He just believed he did it in a different way, um, different time and different way it happens, such as the gap theory and framework and so on and so forth, like we talked about here. Everybody believes in evolution. They just have a variety of understandings of how it happened. Now, the first one, atheistic evolution or naturalism, this is what um, we hear in our culture. This is what is taught in our schools. This is what is the national religion, I think you could say. And along with secularism. And so this theory teaches that everything is purely by chance, random. There is no explanation. There is no outside force or person or being or something like that that is affecting things. There is uh, no purpose to life. There is no meaning to anything at all. There's no God behind it. It just happens. And so, the uh, theory that is taught to our children in the public schools, the theory that is uh, given to us uh, in our culture, whether it be through the media or uh, whatever it happens to be, um, uh, movies and so on and so forth, is this one. There is no God, and there was some uh, spontaneous forming of matter uh, or possibly, you'll hear them talk about an eternal speck of matter that all of a sudden exploded. And of course we call that the Big Bang. And from that explosion, uh, things formed. Gravity um, was formed and brought matter together and this formed the stars and formed the planets and so on and so forth. And then, uh, when the conditions were just right, and we know they were just right here, but we believe they were right in many other places. That's why we have huge satellite dishes around the world trying to listen for those other societies. Um, and life randomly formed when energy was inserted into this uh, goopy substance. Uh, all of a sudden, non-life became life. And everything has macro-evolved from that. Sometimes you'll hear people talking about um, multiple beginnings, and that there was not just one simple cell that evolved to everything, but there were actually a, a variety of simple cells that evolved in different ways. So again, you hear some variation on this uh, idea, but, uh, but again, this is what is taught in our culture. This is our natural, national religion. You can't go to any museum without, at least in regard to science, uh, without hearing about it in one way or another. So, in a very uh, 
simple way, here's, here's what this atheistic evolutionary system would teach us. I'm sure this is very familiar to all of us. I all have heard it a number of times. So, how then does this atheistic naturalism answer these questions? Well, in regard to the first one, where it says, how do you get something from nothing? Uh, they would say uh, that it just happened. We can't explain it. But we know it happened because we're here. So it, we know it happened, we just can't explain how it happened. And uh, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, <coughs> will speak of eternal matter, um, and that small speck of matter then exploded or something to that effect. But uh, uh, basically, they skip over this problem and just say, uh, we're here, so uh, however it happened, doesn't matter. And if you remember this, the Bill Nye explanation, whenever Ken Ham would bring up these, these things, he would just talk about how wonderful it is to be a scientist, to try to answer all these questions we haven't answered yet. Um, and basically he ignored the uh, ludicrous uh, uh, problems, all these problems that are part of this system. And so, um, basically... If we believe in a Big Bang, um, there's got to be a beginning. There's got to be some outside force. There's got to be some outside being that started it all. I mean, you got cause and effect is basic uh, uh, law, you might say. And, and so there's got to be something there. Um, and so th there's serious problems just from this question alone. There is no explanation. There is no evidence that they can point to in any way. And so, again, they respond simply saying, somehow it happened, we can't explain how. <clears throat> now, what do we call this? We call this science? What is this called? What? Faith. Faith. Blind faith. Yes. Absolutely. Talk about a leaf in the dark. They so often accuse us of these things. But, but this is blind faith. There is no evidence whatsoever that would point to this, just on this point. How do you get something from nothing? And many of them will admit it. Do you remember in the video, she even quoted from some of them, saying, we can't explain it, but uh, we're going to believe it anyway. Now, in regard to the second problem, how do you get order from non-order? How does chance produce something with order. Um, again, you typically hear the response, well, we're here, so it happened. We can't explain how it happened, but here we are. Uh, they will also, of course, point to um, uh, gravity bringing order to the universe. They will talk about uh, this macroevolutionary system that will bring order and so on and so forth. They'll, they'll try to explain it a little bit more. But uh, how, can you, how can you go upwards when everything in our uh, system goes the opposite direction? Okay, I talked about us changing from one year to the next. Is anybody getting younger? <laughs> Is anybody living uh, in such a way that you're going to live longer in the long run? <laughs> Are you evolving new characteristics in order for you to survive? 
and we may learn new things, but uh, uh, you know, how can you go from something basic and simple to something that is more complex? How can you have something that has no relationship in it produce something that has relationship? It's just fundamentally impossible. No way you can have that. Yes, Nate. I was thinking too that it, it, it denies where science has come as well as all these other things. You know, that for a time people believed in spontaneous generation. And then they said, oh, that's, that myth has been debunked. Well, it really has not been debunked if we believe this. We still believe that life can come from non life somehow. It's the same exact postulation of spontaneous generation. The other thing that's interesting to me is when you look at the, the laws of entropy and, you know, um, the, the laws of thermodynamics and entropy and all of that, you, we have to go against known scientific laws to believe what is what you're talking about. It, it does not fit into the scientific framework we know. And, and the post, you know, what's always thrown out is good science, good science. It has to be good science. Well, this is really crummy science. And that that's what I have never understood about it. I, I like any rational thinking person realizes that this is completely an antithesis to what we know from science, you know, today and and the things that, you know, things we can test and not necessarily prove, but at least show over and over again to be demonstrable fact. And, of course, they'll respond by saying, well, we know it happened because we're here. We just haven't been able to prove it yet. I mean, many of them talk about proof, yes, that but even... Speaking, though, is not even scientific. Sure. That's assuming that your hypothesis <coughs> is correct, and it's yeah. not a hypothesis. Yeah. That, that's what, that's what I, I often have said to people. I'm like, well, you're, you're assuming the hypothesis is correct, you have you can't do anything to test whether it is or not. Yeah. You know, and that's why it comes down to faith. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nailene obviously spilled into the next one. How do you get life from non-life? Um, you know, no matter how many fruit fly experiments you do, you're actually demonstrating that you need some outside force to make it happen. You know, in the lab, oh look, we see. <laughs> Spontaneous generation. It's like, well, you created all the conditions and manipulated things just right and stepped in just at the right time to make it happen. <laughs> There's no spontaneous generation, no matter what they try to say. Yeah. Well, getting back to what Nailey was saying about the spontaneous generation of life, if I remember the figures correctly, I may be off a year or two here, but uh, Lewis Baxter disproved the spontaneous generation of life, I think it was in 1853. species in 1859. Sounds right, yeah. So he obviously wasn't up on the scientific literature. <laughs> you know, yeah. so somebody today that gets their things published, somebody they're challenging right away if there's any mm-hmm. any flaws in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what comes to my mind is Santa Claus. You know, here you've got this large, overweight man going down chimneys um, throughout the whole world in a matter of hours. 
that's what believing in atheistic evolution is. It just makes absolutely no sense. And now, of course, we teach our children this fairy tale, and unfortunately, regard evolution, we never tell them it's a fairy tale. We say this is reality. But how is it any different than Santa Claus? It's just as much uh, a story as jolly old St. Nick. So the position is completely illogical, irrational, unscientific, unreasonable, and frankly absurd, if I can put it mildly. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It truly is blind faith and a leap in the dark. And yet, it is our national religion. And we're not allowed to say anything different than that in the public square. So much for freedom of religion. Now, um, what does the scripture have to say about evolution? And this will carry over into the other two, deistic and theistic too, but uh, the scripture actually speaks to evolution and against it. So let's turn here to Genesis 1. And um, occasionally, some people bring this question up to us. So what does the Bible say about evolution? Does it prove it or disprove it or whatever? Well, all you have to do is look at verse 1. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that answers um, the first three questions. <laughs> okay? Right there. How do you get something from nothing? Well, God started. Okay. Now, someone may ask, well, where did God come from? Who started God? Well, that's another question. And, of course, we have uh, what we call the aseity of God, that he's always existed. Um, and that does take faith. No question about it. But we have uh, every reason to believe that God has always existed. Uh, believing that something just all of a sudden spontaneously exploded, there's no reason for it at all. Now we can continue here in Genesis 1, and notice especially the language uh, you see in verse 21. For the first time, uh, we see this language. It says, So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And then if you look at verse 24, same thing, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth according to its kind. Verse 25, God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. Cattle according to its kind. And everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. This language is used very deliberately uh, to say that there's going to be all kinds of micro-evolution, you might say, but no macro-evolution. Okay? A bird is never going to evolve uh, from a dinosaur. A dinosaur is one of the beasts, the living creatures, verse 24 and 25. It will not evolve back to verse 21. Okay? Every winged bird. They're according to their kind. We can even, I think, go beyond that and say, well, you know, a dog's not going to evolve into a cat. The dog's going to evolve into another kind of dog, maybe. 
a variety within that kind, but you're, you're certainly not going to cross over in any way. And so this language here is very deliberate, I believe, to, to teach us this. And uh, maybe God was anticipating our day, teaching of evolution and why it was worded this way, but very clear. Yeah, I mean. It's a long modern horticulture confirms this. Yeah. Uh, we, we get strange things, even if you go too far within a kind, let alone, I mean, you get sterile mules. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they can't reproduce themselves. Right. And, and yet you're still within the same kind. Mm-hmm. And the farther yep. out you go, That's right. it, 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 it's not going to work. The more mutation yeah. and bad mutation there is. Right. That's right. Yeah. I guess sterility works to our benefit because, you know, when it comes to mules, but for, it's still not a good, um, you know, the reproduction goes, it's not right. going to help the kind last. Is it's it? not going to last unless an outside force, force acts. acts upon it. That's right. Being man here now. Now, let's turn over to chapter 6. We see the same language used here in regard to the flood and the ark and so forth. In verse 20 of Genesis 6, it says, Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you and so forth. We see it also in chapter 7, verse 14. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after its kind, Creeping thing creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. So, um, the birds could be on the ark because they could perch anywhere. And it sounds like there was a bunch of varieties there, um, but uh, not necessarily um, even ten different kinds of dogs. Maybe it was only one kind. But whatever, uh, it, it happened to be on the ark, you see the same language here. There is a a uh, specific kind, and they're just going to evolve, micro-evolve from one to the other, not across kind. Now let's turn also to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> Paul uses language here that speaks to this as well. In 1 Corinthians 15... <clears throat> Note especially verse 39, 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 39. It says, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Even verse 40, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Obviously, he's talking here about the, the glorified body versus the earthly body here in this, in this context. But in the midst of this, Paul basically reaffirms what Genesis says. That there is a body for each kind, and they're distinct. So again, a cow is not going to love the water so much that eventually he evolves flippers and becomes flipper, uh, or shamu, or whatever. And the dinosaur is not going to all of a sudden become a bird, and uh, and so forth. And 
And so the Bible speaks very clearly uh, against the ideas of macroevolution. And so, uh, again, it's not uncommon for us to be challenged in this way. The Bible speaks to it. And here are some verses that point us uh, in this direction. Comments or questions? I talk about different breeds of dogs. They only exist because humans keep them that way. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, throw a dozen different breeds of dogs together and let them do their thing for a century and then come back and see what you have, why you find there's only one breed of dog, which is a mutt. Mm-hmm. Now, if you throw a dozen different species of animals together, and they still stay species. Yeah. If the, uh, like Maylene was saying about the, the hybrids like a mule or the pink lion or some of those things where they can actually get similar animals to cross, mm-hmm. they're sterile. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's their early preserves the, the species. Weren't that way, the individual species would soon disappear. We'd end up with endless love. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been interesting as we've breeded our chickens. Um, we initially had Henry, who is mostly an Orpington, uh, but he's got other stuff. And then we've got uh, Henrietta, <laughs> appropriately named by the children. Um, and she's mostly Rhode Island Red, uh, but she does also uh, have something else or some other things there. It's very interesting to see what was produced. And uh, even this past year, when we used Henry with a buff Orpington, uh, the variety of chicks that came there was, was very interesting, more so with the Golden Comet. And so anyway, this year, our plan is to get a male buff and a male golden comet and breed them with their own kind, their own specific <laughs> uh, kind of chicken. And it, it's been interesting to me that uh, they don't seem to be quite as he- healthy, the ones we've been breeding. They don't uh, lay as readily and um, they tend to be more aggressive. Uh, it's kind of interesting just watching them here over the last uh, two and a half years of, of doing some of this. And uh, uh, I don't know, it would be interesting, Nailing, to see if the meat is not as tough. Um, and uh, now we've also had um, some, uh, oh, what am I, what's the word? Um, Banty blood in it, and that's a, a factor as well. So um, it's just interesting to me. And as I said a little bit ago, of those. 15 chicks, I think we have 8 left some of them died because of the cold uh, and, but some of them was because they killed one another and so it's, it's, it'd be interesting you know, as you said, after you know, even even 30 years, it'd be interesting to see what would, what would remain there but um, uh, anyway uh, any other comments or questions? Dale yeah. This is an example you gave me about a year ago, which was really good. I think you hit the nail on the head. 
Uh, note the juxtaposition between these two verses of Genesis chapter 1, verse 25, then verse 26. And see if any of you can read in that man and the beasts have a common ancestor. See if you can extract that from these two verses. Verse 25, and God made the beast of the earth according to his kind, cattle according to his kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to his kind, and God saw that it was good. Now verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. If God had wanted us to believe that we had a common ancestor, how could he have been more misleading?